Uh, of course, I just got back from Africa, uh, 10 days worth over there. And I'm just going to give you some highlights. I'm not going to go through all 300 pictures with you. Just give you some highlights that, <laughs> yeah, things that are on here. And I'll explain some of them. And then I'm going to talk about the trip. Taylor, it's good to see you. Taylor went with me over there. He's in the back. Uh, he is an RN, did a wonderful job over there. Okay, so this is inside the van. It's kind of shaky there. We have the bishop who is on the right. He enabled us to go to this place called Amuria. We had to go in and see the vice chairman there and get permission, and we all had to sign the guest book, and we gave him a little speech saying thank you, Pastor Drew did, who heads up the team. And then he reciprocated back and say how wonderful that you'd come minister to our people. So that's that's how we normally travel. Uh, how many were in the van, Taylor? Twelve? Yeah, it's too many. You're right. Okay, so let's go to the next one. This is outside people waiting to get in to get some medical care. This is one of the smaller crowds that we have. Let's go to the next one. This is inside the last place. This is a church here. Half of it's concreted. Half of it is dirt on the inside. This doesn't show very many people, but on this place, how many do we have here? Like 400? 400 people were waiting there. Let's go to the next one. This is where they get the gospel station. The pink card, if you remember, the pink card is for pink eye, which means they want glasses. If you have the green card, the green card means runny nose. You want some meds. So let's go on. They'd never seen a white guy before, you know. (laughs) So uh, anyhow, go ahead. Uh, this uh, This is with the bishop. Um, it was raining this day. We are on the inside, and that is Allison. She is also an RN, and there's an interpreter next to her uh, giving instruction there, and those are some meds on the little tub that we're handing out. Let's go to the next one. That's our team, minus Drew. Uh, our interpreter is Joseph there. He's a great guy. He was the one that drove us around. We felt safe the whole time uh, with Joseph driving us around, and Pastor David is in the back next to Dr. Damaris wearing the purple. Uh, He is the pastor of the area, helps put everything together there. So let's go on to the next one. Uh, There's Pastor Drew. He is taking blood pressure because we forgot a blood pressure cuff to take that. So he stood in as well. Let's go on. I don't know who that guy is, but uh, let's go to the next one. Giving him glasses there. Now, Oh, that's me. I'm playing the guitar, and when you go outside, you play the guitar, the kids just come right over. Now, one thing, when we first arrive at these places, like there's kids all around, and when I came around the corner, you probably had this happen to you too, when you come around the corner, the kids see you, and they run. They run like, who is that guy, you know, and they, they take off. But then they kind of warm up to you, and they come around, and they want to communicate a little bit. So let's go on. Now, notice the stomach. Taylor, what would you say the stomach problem is? Uh, Say again? Kidney failure. failure. And, And we saw so many with different issues, and also some extended bellies, and there could be worms on the inside of the belly. Everybody has parasites over there. Uh, I just took my second deworming pill today. You've had yours, right? Yeah. <laughs> Not good. <laughs> okay. Now, look at this leg. 
this leg is caused from a mosquito bite that enables a little, they call it like a nematode. It's a small microscopic worm that gets into the cellular structure and it just multiplies and this leg just gets huge. He also has an eye problem here. He came over to see me with the eyes, but things like this are commonplace over there. Let's go to the next one. Again, that is uh, some blood pressure uh, being taken. And this is Elizabeth. She is a software engineer. She has a master's degree in software engineering, and she's doing our pharmacy there. And this is a malaria test. How many people did we have that had malaria? Do you know? And that was just you. That wasn't the other. So malaria is rampant over there. Let's go on to the next one. Our uh, doctor and nurse and software engineer, our pharmacist. Now, do you notice the head? The skull on this one did not close up. And so as this child is growing, it kind of grew into a bump on the top of their head. And again, problems like this, they're very normal, very common over there. Uh, yeah, we saw that one. That's, uh, this is inside of the um, Pentecostal church. That's what this was. We were setting up at this particular time. Let's go on for another one. There's Drew playing with the kids out there. And you know, wait, go back one. Go back one. You see the boy with the blue and purple shirt stripe, and you see those sunglasses? That's what you guys gave. These are sunglasses to everybody, and I'll explain that in a minute. Let's go on. Now, I don't know how many people were there, 300 or so. We had just pulled up. This is taken by Joseph on top of the van, and then you have that guy with the thumb, whoever he is. Let's, let's go on here. Uh, we saw that one. Let's go through. I think I sent you some doubles. Now, this, uh, the kids were getting ready to leave here. And the kids are all waving goodbye. And they're happy. They, they don't, I think, realize their own poverty, how poor they actually are. Uh, let's go on. This is the church service that you saw at the beginning here. I played it. Uh, they are excited to worship God. And most of their chairs, they, they actually sit on the floor, as you saw some of them there. Let's go on to the next one. I think. Okay, so what I'm going to do today is I'm going to talk about the trip over there. As soon as I can bring up the message, see if it just deleted. Let's see here. Well, something happened. There we go. Now, I'm going to give you some random thoughts. Uh, and then I'm going to go into a message. We were out away from civilization approximately 45 minutes to an hour. And I'm not going to give these in any particular order. We had 12 plus people in the van. It is dusk. It is getting dark quickly. There is rain in the distance. The dark clouds are just looming out there. The van overheats and shuts down in the middle of nowhere. And so we start piling out of the van, and we're going, wow, Lord, you know, this is pretty exciting. And when it gets dark over there, it is dark. There, there is, was no moon when we were there. You can't even see your hand in front of your face when you're walking 
uh, around like in Kabwand when we were there, the place we were staying. I walked at night through the area. Unless I had a flashlight, there's no way I could have seen where I was going. But there are people that walk around at night. And when we came through with the van, all of a sudden the van headlights, all these people are out there walking around, and it is pitch black. And let me tell you, they have eye problems over there. Anyone over 30 has a cataract. I saw a boy who had a cataract in one of his eyes. He was only 12 years old. And, you know, you see stuff like that, and you go, we got to get the whole population sunglasses and let them know that these things are caused by the sun. But anyhow, we're broke down in that van out there, and um, one of the nurses who was with us, she was a little frightened about what's going on and tried to calm her down a little bit, and everything worked out well. We got some water, and... And Taylor and I were going, man, you've got to put some water in the reservoir. And they're going, no, you don't put water in the reservoir. And we're saying, well, how come it's overheating? And they go, well, you've got to pull out every thermostat from every vehicle that's there. And if you pull out a thermostat inside of a vehicle, you don't have the temperature regulated, so the thing overheats. But then we found out we had a hole in the radiator. And so we're pouring water in three times that night. We had to stop and pour water in. And luckily, the first time, there was a well within... Uh, 50 yards of us these hand pump wells are all over the country and so we went and got some water poured it in there got in the van let's go and we took off and the second time we stopped or the third time it was just raining and it's muddy it's wet everywhere and we're just waiting to get some more water for the engine to cool down and we finally made it home it was wonderful to get there and we did a local clinic that day and Joseph got some JB Weld or something and he put it on the radiator and we were good for the rest of the time. So the, the Lord provided for that what we needed. And then there was an incident. An incident when we were in the, the area of Cobwin, it was a New Hope compound, the people that we minister with, they invite us over there. And I'm giving glasses. Now, the way that I do that is I take a pair of glasses and I slip them on and I hold a little track up in front of them and I say, is this clear, the first set of glasses? And they say, no, it's not clear. And the interpreter tells me or I can recognize it. And so on this one particular guy, I gave him a set of glasses, 1.5s, reading glasses, and he puts them on and I ask him if it's clear and he goes, no, it's not clear. So I pulled those off and I went for a 1.75. I put the 1.75 on him. And this is what he does. He just goes. And then I'm going, is it clear? Is this better or worse? No response whatsoever. Then he gets up. And I go, whoa, whoa, where are you going? He gets up and he bolts for the door. And I go, what? And so I'm grabbing him by the arm. going, hold on, buddy, where are you going? You know, just sit down for a minute, hold on. And then... The struggle ensues, and I'm saying, hold on. And then three people outside the door, they come over, they help grab this guy, and he's fighting the whole time. Like, he didn't say anything. He was nonverbal. He wanted to get out of the room, and then he drops to the threshold of the door, and he starts kicking. And so I grab one of his arms, and it looks like he's having a seizure. And so we, we take him, he's on his back, we put him on his side, he starts drooling, but he never stops resisting. He is just like fighting left and right. He's trying to let go of the hands that are holding him. By this time, there's four people. We are on him. And so uh, Drew comes over, he sees him, goes, make sure he's on his side. So he's on his side. And then after that, he kind of rolls out onto the cement that's out there, kind of like this little sidewalk area. Four, three men are still holding him. And by that time, somebody had grabbed where I was and they're uh, trying to secure him. And he's fighting the whole time just to 
get away. He is unresponsive verbally. He has this look, this look that Taylor says, you know, that's the stare. And I'm going, the stare? And he explained it a little more after that, but he's still trying to get away. Then he grabs his shirt and he tries to pull his shirt off. And I'm going, dude, what are you, come on, just calm down a little bit. And then he tries to pull it over his head. And the guys are pulling the arm off of him and he's struggling left and right. And Drew comes over and says, get him on the grass over there in case he's going to hurt himself. You know, we can lay him down right there and everything will be fine. He did not stop at all. At that point, Taylor starts filming. He's across the way. And he has his little camera there, and he's filming what's going on with his camera. And you see this guy, he is leaning forward like this, trying to get away. Still nonverbal, still with this stare that just won't stop. And Pastor David comes up behind, lays his hand on him, and starts praying for him. And you have this on your video. Starts praying for him like this. As soon as he says, Amen, the guy goes like this. And we look at that and we go, what was that? And we sat down afterwards and we started talking. And this was back when we were back in the house. And I said, I asked Taylor, I asked Dr. Damaris, I said, was this a normal seizure? And now Taylor, he told me he worked on the floor with patients that would come in where they would induce seizures. He said, there's a grand mal seizure where everything is shaking. Or he also told me that there could be just an arm that would be shaken away and the person is fine on the inside. But after a seizure, seizure normally the person is kind of spent. You know, they, they just don't have any energy whatsoever. And he goes, dude, that stare, that stare is like, I've seen that before. And he was describing to me some guy that came into the, one of the medical offices in front of the a um, counter there and he goes this dude got this stare and then he picked up his mom right it was his mom picked her up threw her over like in a wrestling move back to the concrete they both busted their head and it was the same type of thing it's like so what's with this guy we kind of came to the conclusion that this was some demonic activity and we're just going whoa you know we witnessed this whole thing and when the guys came in and they were kind of tackling him and keeping him down so he wouldn't hurt anybody or himself, I started praying for him. I go, you know, this, is, this just seems a little weird. And that was my first encounter. You know, so I'm grabbing this guy. He's probably demon-possessed. He's going out there. And they tell us, oh, yeah, he hasn't done this in three years, but it happens every once in a while. And as soon as he had prayed uh, for this guy, he stood up. And I went through and I did my own Bible study on it. And I have all these scriptures, the things that were indicative of his condition there they're in scripture and they all apply to somebody who is demon possessed whether the muteness whether the aggressiveness that is in there talking to medical uh, rns and also a doctor saying no this is not normal that's the conclusion that we came to and afterwards when we're talking about it we're just going wow you know we and the fact that he did it you know inside of the uh, the time that we were working on the glasses it was just kind of it was strange then there was the encephalitis. So a little boy had encephalitis. His head was uh, enlarged. I didn't have that picture or I would show you. And there were times where it Drew, one particular time, he sent a totally blind guy over for the glasses. And, you know, he, he kind of smiled. He goes, well, you know, in the United States, most people that are blind, they have glasses. So why don't you give them a pair of glasses? But sometimes these people think, 
you're just going to clear up their eyesight and enable them to see. And all we do is hand reading glasses out and hand sunglasses because there is pinguicula, there are cataracts, there is several different conditions, glaucoma that they have. Uh, sometimes I've seen uh, a complete dislodging of the pupil or a rip in the iris that is there and they can't see and they want some kind of hope to be able to to see and all we can do is assist them in trying to find some doctor in Kampala but they have no money you know and they are definitely going blind over there and at night now when we stayed in Kabwin to give you an idea where we're staying we have this building that was built out of brick it has no electricity and it does have water, but it's not running water. It's the rainwater that hits the roof, and it goes into a series of ducts down to this large holding tank. And that's the water we get for doing sponge baths because there are no showers with hot water. And that's what we do for several days at a time. We will uh, just get the water poured over your head, and it's cold water, and you've got to wash and everything else. But then when we're sleeping at night, the first night that we were there, you start hearing these sounds. I go, what is that? Then there's drums in the distance. And then it sounds like there's people singing on over on this side. And then you hear this, like that. And you go, what in the world is that? And it, it's, to me, it sounded like a herd of monkeys just coming in and going out. And then it would rain. And uh, Taylor said it good. It said, sounds like Jumanji. Like we are, we are in Jumanji over there. And come to find out that little sound that I heard like this was the rats inside of our room. There are metal rafters, two-by-two box iron that goes back and forth. And they would run across the iron when we're sleeping and it's pitch black. And I would hear the rats clawing at our backpacks. And I'd turn the light on. Are they in there? You know. And then we set out these traps for them, the sticky traps to step in. And then we look up on top. You know, it's, what, what was that, 9 o'clock at night? And we're looking in these mattresses that are up on top. They're living in there, obviously. And the girls are going, no, they may fall down in our bedroom. And we didn't want that to happen, you know. So uh, we, we did what we could. But every night, these rats are running back and forth. So this is the environment that we get to go to. And it was a nice place to stay. But rats, you know, we had that. And all the sounds and everything that were going on, and, and it was just kind of crazy. And then some of the insects, I, I felt, it, it felt like people screaming. It sounded like people screaming, but it was just a bunch of insects that are out there. So it's a strange environment that is over there. Uh, in Africa. And, you know, more thoughts concerning Africa here. When you go on a trip like this, it, it's good that you have your spirits up and there's a lot of laughter in the group because there's things that we have not experienced. And that's okay. It, it kind of keeps you sane over there. But the suffering is tremendous, uh, what they go through. The, the children laugh, they want to have fun, and at times they do not realize what kind of dire circumstances they are in. Suffering is ubiquitous, it is everywhere. The help that we offer is only temporary. We can only give them some meds 
to take care of a temporary problem, whether it's the deworming medication or it's a series of antibiotics, because chances are they're going to get something shortly after we leave, even though we have corrected whatever immediate problems they have. The needs are unending. The children literally they have no toys at all. Uh, now, what we did is I have these boxes that the eyeglasses are in, and there's rubber bands around them. And so I got a rubber band, and I took a piece of paper out of my notebook, and I folded it into this strip. And I folded the strip over a couple of times, and I put it on a rubber band, and I used it like a slingshot. I started doing that, and the kids would run and go get the paper, and they'd bring it back. So then I would give them the rubber band, and that was the best. All of a sudden, all the kids start coming around. And I folded up several pieces of paper and I started shooting them everywhere. So then they were crawling over each other to get the paper so they could have the rubber band so they could shoot this thing. And, before, and, and then Taylor came out and I gave one to him. And so I'm filming it and these kids, like you'd go like this and all the herd would run over there to try to get And then they'd run back here when you go over there. And then I just started taking rubber bands and shooting them out there because I had like 50 of them or so. And... That was the toy. That was the thing that made them most excited. And the kids, they have nothing. I mean, they have sticks and they have rocks. And we did see a soccer ball, but I I think it was made out of cloth, rags, that they just kind of wound up in a ball, and that's what they would kick around. That's all they had over there. Then... The clothes of some of the children and adults literally were just rags that were hanging on them. Uh, They would work the fields with the parents who were bent over straight leg. Now, if you can imagine this, especially the women. The women would be in the fields, their legs would be straight up and down, and they'd be bent over with a straight back, working the ground, taking out the weeds or turning over the soil, and they would have these hoes that were maybe... um, two to three feet long, and they would just sit there and they'd work it, being straight-legged, bending over. And this one particular site we saw, there were two cattle with a yoke, and that was rare to see that. And there was a small woman behind the yoke, behind the plow, and she was plowing, and the tall man, maybe the husband, was beating the cows to get them to go. And so the women do a lot of the work over there. When you drive by, you will see sections in front of almost every house of men just sitting there. There could be five men, there could be ten men, they would be gambling, or they would just be sitting there. They wouldn't be doing anything productive because they're so poor. But the countryside is filled with corn and millet. We had millet porridge over there. Uh, There's all kinds of crops that they grow. Peanuts would be over there. Uh, cassava, they would grow cassava and they would use all that, but it's primarily agrarian. Goats were everywhere. We ate goat. There's one place where we went by and I go, oh, look at that. There are two goat heads on this uh, little counter and then you go a little bit farther and you see two goats hanging and they had just slaughtered them uh, that morning and sometimes you'll see them walking around with a leg of a goat. No, you want to buy this? You know, they're saying, you want to buy this? No, we don't want to buy that. And the chickens, we had some pictures of chickens. That was breakfast or that was lunch. And the chickens over there are not like the chickens over here. You know, you get a piece of KFC and it just kind of peels off the bone. 
These were Arnold Schwarzenegger chickens. You would, you would bite into that thing, and it's rubber. I mean, these, these chickens are strong that are over there. And it's kind of the environment. They're, they slaughter whatever they eat that particular day. And we get it, and we were fed that. Now, as far as uh, some of the problems in the medical part, we, their STDs were a problem, the uh, venereal diseases, as we used to know them as. Eye disease was as common as water. The people complain that they feel something moving. Taylor told me this, that they feel something moving on the inside. You ever see that show, Monsters Inside Me? That's what they got going on over there. And if anybody is over there for a length of time, they will certainly have that. Everyone had a stomach problem. Unsanitary conditions was the norm. The toilets. Now, where we stayed in Cobwin, there was a toilet. The water didn't work, so you had to open up a valve and put water in a bucket, and you would have to use that. Everywhere else, including almost all the gas stations, the toilet would be in the back. But it's not a toilet. It's a hole. And you got to use that hole. And then you go up to the hole, and all of a sudden you hear this, you think it's bees, but it's not. It's flies. It is so loud, you're going, is there a beehive around here somewhere? And the flies are coming out. Everywhere, this, the conditions are completely unsanitary. Uh, we're constantly cleaning our hands uh, just to make sure that, uh, that we don't get sick while ministering to others. Uh, unpleasant smells, a way of life over there. You run across them, whether it's some of the people or some of the conditions that are over there. The, the smells, uh, nothing like what is over here. Uh, as I said, malaria is an ever-present threat. Uh, and I talked about the children being leery of us. And, but the kids, they would like to talk to us, you know. And poverty was the same. It, it's the same everywhere you go. But over there, it just seems to be a little more severe. And even though there are dozens, even hundreds of churches over there, the whole country is in a state of darkness. And Islam is getting a foothold over there. As you go through the city of Kampala, you'll see these mosques come up and these schools for Islam. Uh, Trash and garbage litter the streets over there. Uh, The infant mortality rate... Now, last time I was there, I looked it up. It was about 50%, uh, the infant mortality rate. And it's somewhere around there. I don't know if it's 60 or it's 45, but it's definitely very high. Uh, the Bible doctrine, the teaching, the Bible doctrine, it, it is not emphasized over there. Sometimes they will just give somebody a ministry and say, here you go. And sometimes they can't even read. And they are put in charge of a church. And so there's all kinds of error as far as doctrine is concerned over there. Standing water, we went through one swamp. How many miles was that swamp that we went through? It, it was When we went back, uh, it just went on forever. And when we got to the airport, when we were leaving, we, it was at night, and I looked up the, the street light that was there in the parking lot. I looked up, and the mosquitoes were so thick, it looked almost like a cloud that was up there around the top. Problems that we do not have here. And the, the grass hut roofs on these huts that are there, uh, they have to re- be replaced every year. If you use papyri, they can be replaced up to every three years and there are problems there galore, but there are also blessings. God has 
uh, provided pockets of vegetation for food that will just come up naturally to help the people that they won't starve over there. There's water in abundance in certain parts of the south. There are Christians that have a deep abiding faith that are committed to the people of Uganda and the children especially. Uh, there was Pastor David, James, we called him one and two. There was Auntie Sarah and Angela and Pastor Charles, and they were all very grateful that we went over there. Uh, but let me get to the message here. I just want to go forward. Now, why do we go over there? Now, I know of, I heard one pastor talk about this, that why are you going around the world? Because there are plenty of people that need to be saved right here in our country. And this is in another city in California. And he kind of complained that, Pastors and people are just taken off and going doing the ministry elsewhere. Well, in Acts 1.8, it says we're to be a witness, not only, or at least the disciples at that time, they're to be a witness in Jerusalem, Judea, and it ends up going through a progression to the utter, uh, Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. So God commands that we go elsewhere, not just here. Now, you guys know this already, but we have... The VBS that is here, we have Christmas on the main, uh, outreaches that we have. We have people involved in going to the malls and witnessing at the malls, and that's all good. And we need to still go to the far reaches. And we've talked about the poor. The poor in this country usually have two TVs. Maybe they have a car. They get some type of assistance. Even if you're a migrant that comes into the country, they get up to $2,500 worth of assistance. And so we really, and most everyone has a phone. Uh, phones are given away free in this country. You go over there, and they are truly poor. And the Lord says, you know, we'll have the poor with us always, and we're to minister to them. So why we go? We go because God commands it, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Also, we're to go to help with the physical needs of those who are lacking. Scripture also says this in James chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. Do something about the physical needs of those who are lacking. It is the responsibility of those who have to share with those who who do not have. And this is not limited to one or two people. This is limited, or it's given to all of us as a command. And we're also to give the gospel. We're to deliver to them what the Lord has told us concerning salvation. Romans chapter 10, verse 12 says, For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord over all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? You see how it goes. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So we are supposed to be bringers of the good news the news of salvation. If we went over to Uganda and say, okay, we're going to have a revival meeting or we're going to give the gospel, how many people would come? It's a churched nation. Even though they're in darkness, they probably wouldn't come. And so we're able to give them something to meet their physical need. And James talks about, too, having that type of faith that has works with it. So we deliver that according to the scripture, but we give them the gospel at the same time. And there are definitely people that got saved. I talked to Pastor Drew. How many people did we actually see? And he started counting up the numbers. He said, we probably went through about 1,800 people just coming through these clinics, and all of them would get the gospel. And we can do so much more than we are currently doing. And we are also told to go and make disciples, Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20. I've quoted that enough to where you would know that. But we're not going to make disciples of them. 
We're making disciples of the people that go. Because when you go on a trip like this, it changes you. It does not keep you the same. You cannot look at the world in the same way. And this is what God sees. This is what Christ is aware of. This is why he told us, religion pure and undefiled is ministering to the widows and orphans in their affliction. And there are plenty of widows and plenty of orphans that are over there. So we are called to go. Keith Green, if you know who he is, he used to say, it's not a matter of those who are called to go and they're asking whether they should go. It's a matter of who should stay. And I kind of believe that. If the Lord calls you to stay or you're unable to go physically or for whatever reason, that's great. But if you're able to go, it enables you to become a disciple that the Lord wants all of us to be. And you can't really become that solid disciple unless you get involved in reaching out to others. Now, reaching out to others is all good and you can be zealous to do so, but you also have to have knowledge behind it for Scripture says... Being zealous without knowledge is not good. So you have to have the doctrine behind you. You have to have knowledge of the Lord and the wisdom that comes along with that, when to speak, when not to speak. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, there's a time to speak and a time to be silent. So all of those things are used to kind of hone us into the disciples we're supposed to be. If we do none of that, whether we give of our resources for others to go or we go ourselves, we're to do one of the two. We're not simply to say, I'll let them take care of it. No, we are all to be involved in this. This is the commandment of the Lord. And then it comes to the preparedness. For somebody to go, they have to be selfless. If someone goes on a trip like this and they are selfish, they could be ruined and it can ruin the trip. We could end up having to send somebody home say, no, you're just not meant for this. Especially with all the hardship that is over there. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 4 says, consider others better than yourself, which means we have to die to ourselves in order to go minister to others. And there's certainly a lot of perilous or precarious situations over there. And you have to have a willingness. And the willingness has to be, that is talked about in Philippians chapter 1, it talks about, in verse 29 through 30, it talks about you have been given the privilege to suffer for Christ to be a witness for him. And that suffering can come in many ways. It can come through opposition from those who would give the gospel or, or they wouldn't want you to do so. It can also come in the form of physical ailments. All of us who have gone over there, at least most of us, have had hep A, hep B vaccines, have typhoid, tetanus. We take malaria pills. When you come back, you're probably going to need Cipro. Cipro is a blessing from the Lord. Amen, Taylor? I mean, that stuff is, oh, man, you, you get a little stomach thing going on, go, give me the Cipro, and you take that stuff down, and it makes everything right. Uh, and you're able to continue to minister. Otherwise, you might find yourself using that hole with the flies. And it, 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 I'm telling you, God is gracious to us in this day and age that we are able to do that. And when we come back, we take the worm medicine because we don't want monsters inside of us growing. And so all of these things you have to go through. And it, you may not like the food and the food that is set before you. You know, you've always heard the thing, uh, eat what is set before you. Well, a couple of us on the group, it's, I'm not touching that stuff and I'm bringing my own stuff. And, you know, that happens as well. 
but uh, there's a certain amount of suffering that you have to go through. Whether the rats are going over your head at night when you're sleeping and you're wondering, is there a mosquito inside my mosquito net because I might get bit and I might get dengue fever, I might get malaria, or I might get encephalitis, or I might get, you name it. You, you put those things down and you're going, okay, Lord, should I do that? You know, Drew was talking to us, Pastor Drew, about all the things that somebody would be inconvenienced by over there. And it doesn't even compare to those who get the gospel and get saved. And the Lord would ask all of us, are you willing to go through some of that in order to save somebody's soul. Not that we save them, that he is able to. And we're supposed to go, according to Romans, and tell them. And so, should we consider going? Yes, we should. Should we pray about going? Yes, we should. Can everybody go? No. Everybody can't go. It's a rigorous process to go, but uh, I would say, if you can't go, be a supporter of those who do go. And then you have to have the willingness to share. In this country, we are wealthy. We are wealthy beyond our wildest dreams compared to the rest of the world. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, talks about the wealthy. It says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds. And to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up for themselves treasure as a firm foundation for the coming age. So that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So if we have something and we give it, that is good. But the Lord also calls us to give in a sacrificial manner. It has to cost us something like David buying the threshing floor of Aruna when he wanted to sacrifice on that floor. And he says, I will not give to God something that costs me nothing. And so this is what God calls us to do. And then there's this idea of being humble. You know, we have, we have our homes, we have our cars, we have our health, we have our wealth, we have our mega churches, we have our sports, we have our televisions, we have our vacations, we have our retirements, and everything that we have that is all good, but there are so many in the world that have nothing. And so the Lord calls us, just as I read in, in uh, Timothy, that we are supposed to be rich in good deeds and reaching out to others. Now also, remember the story of Abraham's bosom? There was a rich man and there was Lazarus. The rich man had all the comforts of life. And if Lord blesses somebody with riches, wonderful. I hope that they're a giver. If they're not a giver, they fall into the the category of this rich man. And Abraham tells the rich man when they're in this state after life in the grave, he tells them, you know, when you were alive, you had all the comforts and, and Lazarus had none. But now that we are here, you are in discomfort and Lazarus is being comforted. So if we think we can pat our lives here, we ought to think and consider that we need to be working for the next life, not this life. That we are eager to do good for those who have nothing, for those who have these diseases, for those who are dwelling in poverty. And so the issue with this is that we realize what the Lord wants and we decide 
not to be involved in any way. You know, the Israelites, and I keep on going through the history books of the Old Testament, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, and Chronicles, and all of that, Ezra. You go through that, and you see the Israelites, the Jews, how they're constantly being blessed by God, but then they constantly refuse to be changed by him. They keep on going back to idol worship. They keep on going back to the Asherah poles and worshiping false gods. And God was upset repeatedly over and over and he would judge them. And it's because they refused to do what God had asked them to do. Now at this particular point in the message, if you're going, you're not making me feel very good. My job is to not make you feel good. My job is to deliver deliver truth. This is what God wants of us. And it's hard for us to accept this. Now, I do not exclude myself from this. Like, what am I going to give up? Uh Uh-huh, you want to give up something? Oh, did you want a new car? Well, you could get a new car or you could give it to somebody else. Stop that. I don't want to hear that. I want what I want. You know, so whatever it is that we want... I am constantly faced with this battle. Do I give it up? Do I not? Does the Lord want me to have this? Do I not? And if he says, it's yours, I go, thank you, Lord. I am thankful. But if I'm able to give it up, it's more blessed to receive or give than to receive. I say, thank you, Lord, that I had the opportunity. So whatever circumstance I find myself in, I don't take the guilt and heap it upon myself. I just say, Lord, what do you want me to do? And when we do that, then he blesses us. And remember, the final thing here is pridefulness. We cannot hold on to pride when we go on a trip like this. And we shouldn't have it now, but the Lord has a way of cutting it away from us. And with this pridefulness, I I want to make you aware of something. Wherever we have gone in the world, we've gone over to Ireland, we've gone down to Mexico, we've gone inside of our country, we went to New Jersey to help with Hurricane Sandy there. We were down in um, Bay St. Louis when Katrina hit. We were with the flooding over in Texas and Houston. We helped out over there. We've gone over to Cambodia, which, Eric, are you in here? You're going when? Next few days, right? Next three days. He's going to Cambodia uh, to minister to the people over there. And, and so in Africa, we've gone there. So all of these things that we do, wherever we have gone, I have found a problem. That there are people who minister there that can be a hindrance to us. And we can turn to them and say, you know, you need to get on board here, brother. Like, for instance, when Paul would ever, whenever he would go to minister somewhere, do you think they charged him to stay? I don't think so. But he did work for himself so that he would not be a burden. And there's this idea that an apostle who would go from place to place is worthy of receiving recompense. But sometimes when we go places and we do this medical mission, they charge us for it. We'll go into a church and it's the greatest evangelistic outreach that many of these churches have. And they come back to us and they say, well, you know, you need to pay a little to come here. This one place we went to in Ireland, all these ministers were around and they were kind of upset that the Americans were coming in and we were evangelizing all these people and then we'd leave. And why are the Americans doing this? It's wrecking my head, you know, and they, they would argue back and forth between them. And one guy in the ministerial meeting that they had stood up and said, let me get this right. 
These Americans, they come over here. They bring thousands of dollars. They spend all this money. They put up the tent. They bring a band. They give stuff out. They give the gospel message. People get saved. They plant them in your churches. And you don't like it. Then they leave. What's not to like about this? Is what they would say, you know. And, and this particular guy, he got these ministers to see, it's not all bad. You know, and they, they'd say, well, yeah, I guess this is okay. But that is not the mentality when you go to these other countries and you minister to people. They, they call it administrative fees. You have to show up. And sometimes there's this attitude of entitlement when you get over there. For instance, uh, those who are ministers sometimes that help us, they will come to me because I have things to give. They will say, hey, can I, can I have a few pairs of sunglasses for so-and-so and so-and-so? And, and you know what I say? No. No, I don't say that. I say, I say, yes, here you are. And they say, well, can I have an extra pair of eyeglasses? Knowing that if I give them a pair of reading glasses, somebody may not have a pair of reading glasses. But I give them to them. And these particular things, it, it's not good because they have this idea of entitlement. But as I was talking to Drew about this as well, there is a proverb. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 8 says, A bribe is a charm to the one who gives it. Wherever he turns, he succeeds. And so when I have somebody come to me that maybe is a leader, government leader, or a pastor... I know what they're asking. They want something for themselves or someone that they know. I just give it because it's going to open a door in the future. If we go back there, they're going to remember I gave them something. And a bribe opens doors for people. And it's just a necessary evil. So we go over to minister to sinners, to give the gospel, along with people who are sinners, who feel they're entitled. And we are sinners going over there. And so we give them grace. We don't hold them accountable. We don't rebuke them. We don't admonish them. We just say, you know, here you go. And we don't find fault. Proverbs says it is to the glory of a man to overlook an offense. And so there are all kinds of hindrances. We know that Paul was hindered by the Judaizers and and uh, in certain cities he went to, he was opposed, especially by people inside the churches. In Second Corinthians, it talks about super apostles. So you're always going to get that. You're going to get opposition from the outside and from the inside. To summarize all of this, we're to go. We're to be involved. We're to sacrifice ourselves and our resources to make sure those get the gospel. And when that is done, the Lord Jesus at the end of time will turn to us and say, Well done the good and faithful servant. So I pray that you get this vision, that we reach out not only to the people here, that we become educated, that we have the knowledge, that we get wisdom, though it costs us everything, we get understanding on how to do this. And Lord willing, he will accomplish this in all of us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the abilities that you have given to all of us to minister to those who have not. Help us to be ever mindful of the wealth that we possess. And may we use it for the furtherance of your kingdom, knowing that we store up for ourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust neither corrupt. And Lord, we'll trust in you for the open doors, for the avenues that are available to us, 
and may you expand our tent pegs as far as reaching out to more places and reaching more people with the gospel and with some limited forms of help, physical help. We desire to do your will, Lord. We worship you. You're not a respecter of persons. And so wherever we go, Lord, we find those who are in need and help us to do this with the faithfulness that only you can provide inside of us. Motivate us, Lord, and help us to motivate ourselves. We thank you for the opportunities. We give you all the glory and honor. And any praise that may come to us, it is all for you. In Jesus' name, amen.